Well, good morning. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. Praise God for another opportunity uh, to come to some of the greatest people, come before some of the greatest people I, I know on this planet. And what a great, encouraging um, teaching from Pastor Richard just then. I tell you, it's, um, and interestingly, he doesn't know what I'm about to talk about. So, um, I, and I love it that the, how the Holy Spirit works together on things. That's when you know it's the Lord. When there was no conversation in terms of what he was speaking and what I'm speaking, I'm going to kind of add to our piggyback on the back of what he just shared. And I want to talk about uh, this morning in this workshop, um, mission-minded, the power of one. The power of one. Being in one accord in doing ministry. I've been doing, I've been ministering now for over 40 years. And, um, and one of my, one of the things that's important to me is being in unity. And when we're doing ministry, it's impossible. When you talk about evaluating yourself, evaluating your gifts, your role, your responsibility, it's still important to understand that I have to work together with others to accomplish what it is that God is calling us to do. And we defined on yesterday that mission is defined as the, an important long-term assignment carried out for a particular purpose. Early on in ministry, I didn't know. I didn't know all of the things I know now, and I've always put myself in a position to learn, even to this day. Lord, teach me. Lord, I'm, uh, you know, he or she who thinks he or she has arrived is finished. So you got to always stay teachable. Let's all say that. Say, Lord, teach me. Now be careful what you say. Because the reality is he's going to teach you. And the mission, understanding the mission. There's a song that was out called, I Understand, uh, Understanding the Assignment. I understand the assignment that God has on my life. I understand that assignment so much that I have over the years made some, in the natural people would say, this is the craziest decision in the world to do what you're doing. Um, uh, my wife and I are on, uh, we're at that place again in our life and ministry. But I understand the assignment. When you understand the assignment, that it, it, it makes it important to, to, for you to, to make sure you're doing everything, keeping your heart right, and then also how you work with others. There's no way possible. Even Jesus himself understood the idea of the power of one. It wasn't Jesus that we talk about, it was others. And we even, not even the 12 disciples. There were hundreds of others that do not get mentioned in the Bible, but if it wasn't for them, their Jesus that we know and the, the assignment that God has placed on the local church would not be able to happen. And so understanding the assignment, understanding the mission, that means giving complete thought, giving full attention, being intentional and having the right attitude when I am serving within the mission and being mission-minded. And talking about the power of one, I often think about how amazing one can make. What the difference that can be made just being one. Being one. Being one. You know, one small woman uh, touched the world with her passion. And to this day, she's no longer here but her assignment is still impacting the world. That was Mother Teresa. One small man, one man's voice brought freedom to an entire race of people and it impacted this nation and nations around the world. That man was Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. So one makes a difference. One makes a difference. You gotta see that, that we, not just me being one, but us being one and being in one accord, and being in unity, because that is what is needed. And today, unfortunately, you know, the enemy is pulling out his best stops right now. He's doing his best to try to tear the church, the big C, apart. And we've got to fight against that. We've got to make sure we don't allow ourselves to get caught up in the drama, get caught up in the cancel culture. Because in the local church, it's happening. 
We're counseling people and counseling things just because we don't want to adapt to a, a, a system of oneness. And God talks about in Scripture the importance of one. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, it says, neither, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are one in Christ. One in Christ. So whether I have a title of pastor or the title of parking lot assistant or title of janitor or I'm just sister so-and-so that works in the hospitality ministry or brother so-and-so that comes to church and I, all I do is pray, we are one. Whether I'm in Syracuse, New York, in the church that I'm at there, or I'm here at New Harvest, we are one. Amen. So people like to hear principles and, uh, you know, program ideas and creativity. And I agree, well, all those things are great and wonderful. But the reality is, without all those, all those things are great, but without the spirit of oneness... We don't succeed, and we don't accomplish the mission. I like to say things like, I like to, this is one of the statements I like to say, that one is more than enough. Everybody say that. Say one is more than enough. I mean, if you didn't have a title, would you still be as excited about ministry? If you didn't have a position, would you still be as excited about church and being in the, in the local church and seeing what God is doing? If you didn't have your church, if you wanted to sing your pastor, would you be as excited? One is more than enough. I can prove it. One is more than enough. That's all, we only need one Hawaii. That's when you, if you've ever been to Hawaii, I'm telling you something. It's one of the most beautiful. That's a sign that God is God. There's only one planet Earth. Check this out. There's only one you. You are original. And your oneness coming together with, with, with others makes the mission that God has called the local church to do succeed. It makes it fruitful. It makes the, the harvest that we talk about. We've got to get back into this place of oneness. Inside of you, God created and built something special. See, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm so grateful for the spirit of oneness. There are people often say, I want to get married. I want to get married. If you want to get married, you've got to have the spirit of oneness. What makes a marriage work? My wife and I, you know, we're still rookies compared to Pastor Richard and Sister Nancy, but my wife and I uh, will be married in October 33 years. And um, so, but you know what makes our marriage work? It's the spirit of one. There are things now that we have. We can't be selfish. There are people so, so single people like, I want to be married. You've got to be willing to submit yourself. People ask me, what's the key to marriage? What's the key to marriage? It's so simple. The key to marriage is, this is the honest God truth. This may, get rid of it, it's going to blow you away. It's going to blow you away. The key to marriage is giving of yourself to your spouse all the time. Now, that is easier said than done. Let the married people say amen. Because sometimes you just want it to be about you. I need, you know, it to be about me. But the key is that if I'm constantly thinking about my spouse, my wife, that beautiful, fine, amazing, incredible creature that God made, Tanya Wilson, oh my gosh, my morning sunrise, my evening sunset, the peanut in my Snickers bar, the salad dressing on my salad, the sugar in my Kool-Aid, the premium gas in my car, the milk on the cereal, the syrup on the pancakes. I, let me stop because I got to wait. I got four more days before I go home. But inside of you, God created you. See, you're going to be successful in marriage, successful in anything, and especially within the local church. You got to understand the power of one. Something unique happens in the world in the local church, in the kingdom of God, 
when we walk into this mindset. Even now as I am ministering, I feel the Spirit of the Lord ministering to people that are kind of gotten out of this. You've kind of gotten away from this. You started making it about you. It's kind of like little kids. You ever seen little kids? One of the things you have to teach little kids is about not having a mindset of, about you. You know, mine. You know, mine. 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 That's one of the things kids will say. Mine. My, my, they can't say anything else. But like, mine. You, you ever see a kid? You get their toy. That's my toy. Mine. Mine. And that's what a lot of people are like in the local church. Mine. Mine. My, my seat. My, 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 that's my chair. What's she doing in my chair? Your chair? Your seat, my, 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 my parking spot, mine. Amen. In my, in my, in my, in my church growing up, we, I was in a small Baptist church, and um, there was this older man that sat on the front row. He would be asleep throughout the whole service. But he would, all of a sudden, he would, pastor would say something. He'd be asleep during most of the message. And then pastor will say something. You just hear him say, Amen. Amen. Everybody say amen. Say amen or ouch, either one. Because the reality is we've got to get out of this mindset of, of, of and I'm going to talk about it here in a second, selfishness, but into a place of oneness if we're going to be mission-minded. Mission-minded church people, mission-minded churches are churches that are thinking as one. In February, I mentioned it a little yesterday, my pastor went on a sabbatical for almost six months. My pastor said, if I go on a sabbatical, I have, to, I have to know that this church is going to be in the right hands. And so he said, he said, I believe in my heart that Lee Wilson should be the interim pastor. So here's what he did. He prayed and sought the Lord. The board approved it. We had a service on a Sunday morning, and he gave me a staff, a shepherd's staff, and he put it in my hands, and he says, I release this church now. He's been pastoring this church for 31 years. He's never taken, outside of a vacation, an extended time off. And so he says, I put this church in your hands, and he completely, a completely shut down from ministry after 31 years. Even myself, I didn't believe he would be able to do it but he completely shut down. And then I had the responsibility of pastoring this church for almost six months of 2,000 members and 45 staff members and making every decision that had to be with this ministry for six months. The only way, and it succeeded, in the absence of my pastor, he just came back from his sabbatical just last week after five and a half, almost six months. And when he came back, the church had grouped over 100 members. When he came back, the church had more than 100 people serving, new people serving within the local church. And was it me? No, it was not me at all. I played a part, but it was the idea of, and I think some of the people in our church, some of our staff members were like, yes, pastor's gone. Now, let's do this, and let's do that, and let's make this happen. And the things, and I remember meeting with the staff and says, you know what, here's what our vision is. Here's what our assignment is, what pastor, pastor's assignment is. We're not changing anything. We're not here to make this um, different because he's out. We gotta be in one accord. And so I stopped everything that people thought was their own, ag any agendas, and we made it about one agenda. And that's why, to this day, that church is growing. In the middle of a pandemic, it grew. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 35 and verse 10, all who are skilled among you, you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. All who are skilled. See, we have all kinds of skills in the local church, and we've got to understand how important it is. It's like our body. Your body works together as one, and the body understands the assignment. You've got to understand your assignment. Everybody's not going to be a mouth. Everybody's not an ear. Everybody's not a hand or an ankle or a foot or a big toe or a baby toe or an elbow. And then let's not even talk about the things on the inside that are working as one. 
you've noticed that if your body, if anything on your body begins to not function as one, the rest of the body stops and pays attention to it. Even if you try to ignore it, you can't. You ever had a toothache? You ever walk through the house and stump your toe? You ever notice how the rest of your body is like, what's going on? Everything stops. Your hand says, put your foot up here, I got it. Your eye says, let me see it. Your mouth says, I'll just say ouch, I'll say ouch. And everything is just like, it's like, you know, what would happen? You know, like you ever hit your thumb, like, you know, you know, like hammering something, you hit your thumb, like boom, 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 pow. The other hand said, put the hammer down, grab it. What's up? What's happening here? Oh my gosh, what's happening? Uh, your mouth said, put it up here, let me, let me kiss it. Mm, 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 mm. Oh my God. Mm, mm. It's going to be okay. Hand says, I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. Don't, don't, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. Move it around, move it around. Okay, I'll move it around. Move it around, move it around, move it around. And then the rest of your body started talking to you. That was dumb. You know you shouldn't have been doing that anyway. How are we going to function if we don't have that? You got to keep, keep your eye on the nail. That's what we ought to be doing within the local church. We got to have that kind of mission mind. If there's somebody that's missing, when we should not be saying, where is sister so-and-so? Where is brother so-and-so? Call brother so-and-so. Call sister so-and-so. Check on them. It's not Pastor Richard's job. It's not your pastor's job to call everyone. Amen. Got quiet when I said that. It got real quiet. He's like, clap, clap, boom. Stop talking about them. Check on them. One is important. One makes a difference. It makes a difference. You ever accidentally sprinkled uh, just a little splash of Clorox on a dark piece of clothing? This is where people don't think that if one makes a difference. Your favorite jeans, your favorite shirt or blouse got one splash of Clorox on it? You cannot tell me that doesn't make a difference. You can try to hide it, you can try to do whatever, but you'll throw away that entire shirt, you'll throw away all those clothes with that one splash of Clorox. One makes a difference. In 1776, one vote gave the United States the power to make the English language our language. In 1845, one vote made Texas, New Mexico, Nevada, Utah, California, Colorado are part of the United States. One makes a difference. One is defined as unity or one unit. It, is, it means to be uniformed. It means to be unified. It means to be unanimous. We are in one accord. And what does the Bible say to do here? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. I, I'm, I'm enjoying this, and I'm excited because I know where we're going, but I believe the importance of this. And, and, and this is going to challenge you in a way that you maybe was not expecting, but I believe God knows what he was doing when he uh, uh, had me to do this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Make, look what the Bible says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort for those who are trying to give up on the church, those who are trying to give up on relationships, those who are trying to give up on their marriage. Have you made every effort? No. If you're saying, I made every effort, you've not made every effort. You don't quit. It says make every effort. There is one body, one spirit, just as we're called to one hope when you were called. What were you called to do? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is the one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. We got to be in one accord, people. We've got to be, and here's the key. Here's where it's going to get rough. Here's where it's, uh, you know, as the captain comes on, uh, folks, ding, folks, I just want to tell you, I'm going to ask you to buckle your seatbelt, stay in your seats. It's going to get a little rough. Turbulence is about to come.
The reason why we can't keep oneness in the church, the reason why or what's the biggest spirit that the enemy uses to divide us in the local church. We come to church together, but we're divided in the spirit of, of, of being in one accord is selfishness. It's the biggest enemy to the mission-minded and oneness mindset within the local church is the spirit of selfishness. Selfishness is defined as being concerned excessively or exclusively with oneself. Excessively or exclusively with one's self. It's hard not to think about me. It's hard not to want to be paid attention to. It's hard, but in the idea that we have to, have one, and, and under no circumstance, no one's exempt from it. No one. No one's exempt. I had to do this, I had to prove this in my own life. I was sharing with Pastor Richard and Pastor Nancy last night about something happened in my church. My, I was pastoring a church in Houston, and I, before I started the church, I brought all my family together, my two sisters, my two brothers, my mom, my dad, and all those, there was, uh, my brother's wife, uh, my, my sister's husband, all everybody there. I said, listen, we're starting a church. You all said you feel called to be a part of this church. It was like, yes, we're behind you. We're behind you, Lee. I said, well, here's the deal. Um, there's, I, I, play, I play two roles in your life. Role number one, I play, I'm your brother, I'm your, um, you know, I'm your son, uh, all, the, all the things, whatever my relationship is with you and family. But my other role is I'm your pastor. And as your pastor, there are certain things I need you to know that you will not be exempt from doing what everybody else is being held accountable to, even myself. I have a board. There are certain things I'm accountable to. You as my family, I need, to, I need you all to understand that. Are we all good? Oh, yeah, we're good. We're great. We're good. So as the church grew, there were certain needs, and my mom was really good at hospitality. My mom was really good at keeping the place looking good, really good at, at fixing things, and, uh, the food, and all of the things that we would do with caring for people and feeding people. And so ultimately, mom became part-time. She was on staff, and she ran that whole department. And over time, my mom is just, she was a special lady, uh, but you just had to know her. She was you know, if you ever seen the movies, Madea, my mom was Madea. In a lot of ways. She was a Holy Ghost Madea. She, she just had God, but she would just, and so my mom was just uh, doing things, talking to people, just Madeirish in her own way in the hospitality area, treating people, uh, you know, certain kinds of ways, and people were afraid of her. People were stepping down from the ministry. They were stepping down from the ministry, and I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? And it was like, you know, uh, Sister Norma, you know, and, and, and they would call her Sister Norma, even though everyone know it was your mom. Nobody would say your mom. I said, Sister Norma. And so I called Sister Norma in into the office, and I just sat Sister Norma down. I said, Sister Norma, how you doing? She's, you know, I'm doing well. And so, listen, you know, your attitude, you know, you just, your attitude, um, I'm, I'm hearing, and I didn't go just like that, because, you know, still mom, and you know, I was still walking kind of a soft, soft, you know, I'm a pastor, but I was walking kind of soft with her, and I was like, you know, um, mom, <clears throat> I'm hearing, what you hearing? Give me, mom, give me, give me time. And, and even, I could tell right away her disposition, her body language, starts sitting sideways in her chair. So mom, I'm hearing that people are intimidated and people are stepping down uh, from the ministry because of how you're treating people and, and nobody can do anything. You say, I got that. You won't let anybody do anything, basically making it all about you. And she's like, who, who? I said, that's not important, mom. What's important is that you are, you know, you can't do that. You just can't do that. And we talked about this. You, you're not gonna sit here and tell me what to do. I said, I can tell you what to do because I am pastor. And we had this conversation early on that, you know, that when we came to pastor, I'm not wearing my 
my son's hat right now. I'm wearing my pastor's hat. You can't treat people that way. You can't be basically selfish and, and, and treating people any kind of way. Well, they're just going to have to deal with it if they're going to serve with me and work with me. I said, Mom, that's just not how it's going to be. Either you're going to correct your attitude, you're going to not make it about you, are you um, and, and serve others, or you're not going to be able to continue in this area. Hmm. So you, you, what you telling me? I said, I'm telling you, if you don't straighten up and if you don't change your attitude and get away from this mindset of selfishness, uh, I'm going to have to let you go. You'll fire your own mom, I'll fire Sister Norma. So she wasn't willing to change. So I fired her. It was one of the most interesting things in my life. You fired your own mom? No, I fired Sister Norma. And normally when you fire somebody, they leave. I had to go to, I got, I'd still go to the house. We still had fam, family gatherings, all this stuff. And, and, and normally when you, you know, fire somebody from church, they definitely don't stay at the church. Now I want you to know my mom was my number one fan. She, I couldn't do nothing wrong until I did this. And, uh, <laughs> but my mom would come to church every Sunday. She'd sit on the front row. She was like, amen, pastor, amen, amen. She knew the word, but she was amen. She was louder. She always supported what I was doing. But now she's fired. And so here's what she decides to do. She decides to still come to church, sit in her same seat. But everything changed. I'm up preaching, and my mom's sitting in the front row, mad. I mean, hotter than fish grease. sitting on the front row every Sunday with her arms crossed, looking at me like this. And where she used to say amen and hallelujah, that's right, pastor, I'm not joking, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I would say something like, the Bible says that unity is important, that you got to be uniformed. It, it means to be unified. It means to be unanimous. This is what you do. Hmm. Everything I said, huh. <laughs> so I had to have another meeting with her. And I said, Mom, if you're going to come to church, it's okay to come to church. If you're going to come to church, you can't come to church and be creating. Everybody knows what's going on. It's not like a big church. Everybody can hear you're my mom. Everybody knows you're upset about what happened. You can't come to church with that kind of attitude. That's selfish. So now you're going to tell me I can't come to church. So now you're going to kick me out of church? If I have to, Sister Norma, here's what I'm trying to point out to you. No one's exempt from being selfish. The question was asked in a poll for um, a certain amount of Americans, what would you do for $10 million? We live in such a selfish culture. Listen to this. And they asked several thousand people for $10 million, what would you do? 25% of the people they interviewed said that they would abandon all their friends for $10 million. 16% said they would give up their citizenship for $10 million. 10% said they would withhold their testimony in a murder trial. 6% said they would change their race for $10 million. We live in a selfish culture. And selfishness cannot work in the local church if we're going to be mission-minded. If we're going to be mission-minded, we've got to change that. And how do we keep ourselves from going there? Here's what we have. Here's the advantage we have as believers, as the local church. We have the Holy Spirit. We must allow the Holy Spirit to help us, to point out to us in areas of our life where there's selfishness. As a matter of fact, I want you to close your eyes right now. I want everybody to close their eyes right now. And I want you to say this from your heart. Holy Spirit, highlight to me areas of selfishness in my life. We just asked him.
I believe even now the Holy Spirit is highlighting. It may not be something big. It may be one little thing that's keeping a certain area within the local church from working that you're serving in where there's been selfishness. It may be that one little mindset you have to change in your life or in your marriage that will make the difference and maybe not even get credit for it. You know one of the things I do in my, in my marriage? My wife has never said anything to me about it, but I'll notice my wife drinks from her water bottle. And sometimes I'll come in, I'm tired, and I don't, you know, I'm just not focused on me. And one of the things I, I, I do, if I see her water bottle that she drinks from that is empty or is almost empty, I'll go to the refrigerator and I'll fill up her water bottle for her, close it back up. And I don't sit it on the table like, and put lights on it or signs like, da-da! <laughs> Look what I did. It's literally just saying, you know, and it's the Holy Spirit. I've invited him to help me to do this, to highlight areas in my life where I'm not selfish. Within the local church, I'm not selfish. Six, six months as a senior pastor, I would stand up and never take credit for it. I can't take credit for this. There's no way possible this happened because of me. I'm a part of it. But the Holy Spirit will help you. He'll highlight to you the things in your life, the things in your heart, the areas where you serve, the giftings that you have, how you're putting other people behind you. Don't put people behind you. Put people in front of you. How, who can I help? Who can I push into their greatness? Who can I push into their purpose? Who can I push into God's best for their life instead of me? Here's what I know, that when you keep your heart right towards God, he will arrange every situation and every circumstance that's critical for your success. Don't worry about you. You can put your heart on someone else. Who else can you serve? Who can you open the door for? Who can you help park? Who can you go out of your way for? That's what it's going to take in the local church for us to fulfill the mission. And when you ask the Holy Spirit to do it, he will highlight it to you. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. That's why I ask you to say what you just said. You could do that every day for every situation. Holy Spirit, help me. For we do not know what we should pray for, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which, which cannot be uttered. Now he who, who searches the heart, there it is, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He will not force himself on you. He will simply lead you. He will give you an unction. He will give you, you ever heard that thing? Like, something told me not to. Something told me I should do. Often for us that are believers, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, something told me I should have said, you know, you ever had something go on in, in, in a relationship, marriage, even in church, co-worker or something, and, and you hear that, tell them you apologize. Devil, I bind you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> that happened to me once. I was speaking in Japan. I was first time there, ministering. I'm coming back through customs. I was in Japan. They gave me some swords uh, as a, a gift of saying thank you for coming and ministering to us. And and it was a powerful gift, and I still have them to that day. When I got back to the, to the United States in customs, they decided to handpick my, my package and open it up and go through it and question me like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a samurai or something, you know. Like, I'm gonna, like I know you've had swords come through here before. Look at me. I am not a black ninja. I am just not. Man, let me go. I got to catch my plane. And they held me up in customs, questioning me about these swords that are pretty much standard in Japan. You can get them anywhere, at every convenience store or whatever. But, and they had them custom for me a little. And, and they're holding me up and to the point where I was literally minutes away from missing my flight to go home to see my family. I, I rush, had to tape up the box. I rush. I get to the, to the gate where my flight was uh, taking me to home. And the, and the ticket agent that was standing there, um, they had just, I watched them close the door. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm running, and I'm telling you, it, it was hard. And I'm watching, she's there, and I go up to the desk, and I'm running real hard. And I'm like, 
ma'am, I'm, I'm on this flight. She's like, sir, the gate, uh, the, the, the plane is closed. We cannot put anybody else on the plane. Literally, it's what she did. Put her hand in my face. Now, I'm from, I'm saved. I love God. I've just been preaching to people in, in Japan, but you don't put your hand in my face. That is, I mean, you, what? You know, it's just like, and didn't even look at, she didn't even make eye contact with me. And I was like, ma'am, I'm just, sir, I have told you, I'm, I'm trying to close out this flight. You missed the flight. Go have a seat and I'll deal with you after it's over. I'm like, no, you didn't. You don't know. This. All of a sudden, I'm telling my flesh, I got in the flesh. I got in the flesh. And I'm, I'm looking, thinking of ways I can just like take her little blonde hair and just, so I can just like, without trying to get in trouble or whatever, I just, I did a lot of stuff to her that was in my mind. I did, I did some stuff to her. I, and and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I got in the flesh. I was selfish. And I'm like, I cannot believe she, and, and so I go over and I'm sitting in my seat and I'm pouting like, like Sister Norma. I'm just sitting there looking at her, imagining stuff I can just do to her and talk about her. I'm like, you know, you know, like, you know, just looking at her like she, you know, all, all kind of things. And then um, as I'm sitting there, the Holy Spirit checks me. Holy Spirit checked me. Said your attitude is wrong. How, you, how you're thinking about this, what you're thinking, what you're saying is wrong. And I want you to go up there and apologize to her. I'm like, devil, oh no, devil, that, you are, that is the devil. What did I do wrong? I'm trying to get home to see my baby, see my wife, and you, Lord, come on. You know, you ever, the Lord's ever did that to you? Like, Lord, look at her. She the one, she ought to be repenting. You talk to him. Why me? And I, I've always been one in the long run to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I'm hearing the Holy Spirit say, go and apologize to this lady. So I get up. And it wasn't easy. I get up, and I go up, and she's still doing her own thing. And I was like, ma'am, I just want to, sir, I have told you. Now, I'm not going to say it anymore. Have a seat. I'll deal with you once this plane is gone. And I said, ma'am, I just want to say I apologize for my attitude, for how I treated you. Fine. She didn't even say thank you or anything. I had to sit in there and just think about how she just treated me. I did what the Holy Spirit said. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. He's highlighting things to you right now that will help you to get rid of the small or the big things of selfishness in your heart. And over the years, I've learned how the Holy Spirit speaks. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Because the Holy Spirit will speak. And when he speaks to us, he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here's how the Holy Spirit speaks. There's, there's a... Um, there, there's something that he does. There's an inward witness that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. That's what he did with me. There was a piece of my heart that I knew I had to go up here and say, well, apologize to this lady, whether she accepted my apology or not. God, the Holy Spirit will speak to you with an inward witness to do the will of God. That's the top way he's going to speak. And you'll know it. You know when he speaks. Then the Holy Spirit will often speak, also speak with an inward warning. He'll tell you to pull back. He'll give you some things to, this is a warning. This is a warning of something. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't stop. You know, don't, don't, just that warning. And this is the relationship as believers we need to have in the local church. We need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit because sometimes he will warn us. Then the Holy Spirit will speak with an inward I call, an inward go, or inward um, do, an inward go. Meaning, he compels us to move forward. Go. And then the Holy Spirit will speak with an inward no. No. And if you're going to be a believer, and you're going to be with the mindset that I'm going to do all that I can to fulfill the call of God and the mission of God, you've got to be willing to hear the Holy Spirit witness to you. You've got to be willing to hear the Holy Spirit warn you. You've got to be willing to hear the Holy Spirit tell you to go. You've got to be willing for the Holy Spirit to say no. Because he will. John 16 said this, chapter 12, I still have many things to say to you. 
but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, Jesus, Jesus saying, when he, the spirit of truth have come, he will guide you into all truth for he will speak on his own authority, but whoever and whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit will help you deal with selfishness. Here's the thing about selfishness. Selfishness is the sin that we see in everyone else, but we can't see it in ourselves. It's an interesting time we can say, she's just so selfish. He's so selfish. Why are you making it all about him? We can see it in our husbands, our spouses, our co-workers, other family members within the local church, but we cannot see it in ourselves. We see it in our children. See it in you. When was the last time you asked the Holy Spirit to show you, other than what we just did a few minutes ago, your life where there are things in your heart and how you serve within the local church, the spirit of selfishness? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambitions or conceit, but in loneliness of mind. Can you see how the Word of God and Spirit of God keeps reminding us of the mind? I think as Pastor uh, Richard appropriately named and heard the Spirit of the Lord of the, on, on, on this conference, on this summit, the, the, the mind, the word the mind has been highlighted in Scripture time and time again. We didn't share Scriptures. But he says, but in the loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Don't want it. When it comes to church, when it comes to positions, here's the mindset I'm going to challenge you. Don't want it. Be willing to serve where you are right now forever. Be willing to be behind the scenes forever. Be willing not to want to be up here. If you want to be up here, if your goal is to be up here and to preach and to be up here singing and be up here and be in the front of people, that's the wrong goal. Here's where you want to be, wherever God, the last thing that God told you. Be there. Be there. Hallelujah. And what's the characteristics? We see selfishness throughout Scripture and how it hurt so many mighty men and women of God. Selfishness fueled Adam and Eve to eat from the tree. Selfishness led Esau to sell his birthright. Selfishness motivated the rich young ruler to turn away from his father. The rich turn away from Jesus. Selfishness is all throughout Scripture. Selfishness was associated with murder, deceit, sexual sin, idolatry, lying, uh, all kinds of things. And so we want to get this out of our heart so that we can fulfill the mission and the assignment that God has within the local church. And what do we see now happening in the world today? Why is it what's happening in the world and even in the church? Selfishness. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to wrap this up. Have you enjoyed this today? Yeah. Praise God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Excuse me. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, halty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. How does this happen? Before we move into closing on oneness, I want to talk about how does this happen. Number one, because of the lust of the flesh. The me, myself, and I attitude. I want. Die to that. Secondly, the lust of the eyes. We see things and we're like, I want that. Even though I can't afford it. Even though I know that's not, I just want it. 
I don't, you know, I, I want that. The lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life. I deserve this. And I don't care about anybody else. Proverbs 26 and 12 says, There is more hope for a fool than for a man who is wise in his own eyes. So, how can we be one? How can we be one? How can we have one mission, one mind, and one voice? I believe the power of one is so important. And I believe that God is challenging us to have a mission-minded mindset because as a team, it's what's going to, how we're going to do it. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division. That word division means isolation. In the church, in the, in the church, rather be one mind, united in thought and purpose. Here's a question I have for you as the church. What would happen if we were unified in purpose, in priorities, and in plans? What could happen if we were unified in purpose, in priorities, and plans? So much could happen. Michael Jordan said this, Michael Jordan was quoted saying this, that talent wins games, but teams win championships. And so we've got to become a team. We've got to become a team that's mission-minded. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, God has given each of you a gift. Use them well to serve one another. Praise God. Use them well to serve not me, but one another. One another. One another. That's, how, that's the mission. That's the assignment. Years ago, I had the opportunity to speak in Australia. And I was there, and I got introduced to the game of rugby, which is one of their version of what we call football here in the United States. The tough. And I had the opportunity to go there. And when I went, it was awesome because I saw something that I never saw before. When I saw what they do, uh, they do this thing called the scrum. Now, before I show you a picture of that, I want to, I want to say this. Um, football in America is, to me, the best thing ever. I love football. And, and I want to also say congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams for winning the Super Bowl. <clears throat> yeah. And the Rams should give Jimmy Garoppolo a ring, too, because he helped you get to the Super Bowl. There's no doubt, if you know me, if I've been here before, I'm a diehard San Francisco 49er fan. Yeah to the core. Love 49ers. And um, I started looking at the 49ers. Now, now, we do something in NFL. They do something called the huddle. They huddle. I'm going to show you a picture of an NFL huddle. I might, might as well just show you the best team ever. Here, here it is, right here. And uh, <clears throat> that's, that's the huddle. That's the huddle in the NFL. And, you know, you ever watch an NFL game, if you watch football, sometimes some guys are in the huddle, sometimes they're halfway out of the huddle. They're not in one accord. They're kind of like, you know, there's like this, you know. They're not listening. They're not, you know. And then I, I learn and watch what they do in rugby. Totally different mindset. They're connected. Let me show you a picture of, a, of, a, of the rugby huddle. It's called the scrum. This is powerful. This is what we should be in the church. We shouldn't be like this in the huddle, like halfway listening to the quarterback. And if the play, you can always tell if you watch, I, I refereed before, you can tell who the play is going to based on the attitude or the selfishness of the player. But see, if you stand in that huddle and you all the way in it, they don't know you're about to get the ball. They don't know. But in, in, in rugby, it's amazing. You see, they connect one another. They have each other's back. They make sure that each other is going to help each other get there. You see, and you look in the, over here on the red side, six is connected with one, and one is connected with two. Eight is in the back pushing. Five, 17 has no idea what six is doing, but he knows that seven is over there, and he has his back. You see, within the local church, we've got to stay connected, using our gifts to serve one another, to get the ball down the field. Don't just be in the huddle with one ear. Get in the scrum. Connect with the next person. And say, sister, how can I help you? 
How can I help you get this? And one of the things we've got to kill within the local church are silos. Silos will destroy the ultimate mission that God wants to accomplish. You know what a silo is? You don't see a lot of them in Los Angeles, but I'm down from the south. The silos are on farms, and I have a picture of one here. And a silo is where they keep different things separate from one another. They may have the grain, they may have the wheat, they may have grass, they may have the feed, but they silo it so that it doesn't get mixed up. Here's, it works on a farm, but silos in the local church kills the vision. And so we can't be siloed. We've got to be in one accord. We've got to make sure that we are moving the ball down the field. We've got to be in one accord. We've got to be in, in, in a oneness mindset when it comes to ministry. Nothing kills vision like silos. It kills it. How can you know you're a silo? How can you know you're selfish? If someone asks you for help, and you say, in the local church, somebody comes and says, hey, do you know how I sign up for the Bible class? Uh, that's not my job. If you find yourself pointing people to other stuff, somebody comes in our church, you know on Sundays, you know what I do? The whole six months I was pastoring, every Sunday when I finish preaching, you know what I do every single Sunday? I have a nickname. My staff and the church staff nicknamed me the mayor. You know what they call me the mayor? Because I'm in the sanctuary and in the lobby every Sunday I'm there. I am shaking hands. I'm kissing babies. I go to people that sit in the church and nobody pays attention to them. And I go to them and say, so glad to have you here this morning. And I'm not saying this to give myself any credit, but I make sure I'm not a silo. I make sure they understand that I'm not untouchable. Yes, I just preach, but I'm here for you. And I shake hands and I hug people and I talk to people. Can you help me with something? Somebody comes to you asking, can you help me with something? Uh, and you're like, oh, you know what? That's not me. Uh, that's the children's ministry. Go over there and they'll help you. Walk them there. Walk with them. See, I may not know the answer, but I know someone that does. I know someone that can help you. Sister so-and-so, can you help brother? This brother here is looking. He wants to sign up for a new members class. And I don't know what that, how we do that, but I know that you do. Don't point him. Go over there. Or I don't know. Or that's not my job. Or that's not my area. That's a silo mindset. And Mark chapter 3, verse 24 says, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. So let's learn to collaborate. Let's learn to team up. Let's create something special in these last days. Let's make a difference in this world. And it's going to only happen when we bring our talents and gifts together. It's going to only happen when we collaborate. When we, we come together, oh, what a difference we can make. Amen. Let's collaborate in mission. Let's co collaborate in skills and gifts. Let's collaborate in our communication. Let's collaborate in prayer. Let's collaborate in caring for one another. Let's collaborate in celebrating one another. Let's collaborate in community with one another. Don't, don't listen, as, as departments, don't wait till your church organized an all-church picnic. Have one in your backyard. Invite the people you serve with to come to your house for a barbecue. You guys collaborate together. Celebrate one another. Call each other on their birthday. Call, be the first to call them when someone's sick, when someone's having an issue. I mean, celebrate and collaborate together. Make that change. Amen? Amen? Were you blessed by this today? Amen. When it comes to change, you can resist it, you can ignore it, or you can accept it. I encourage you to accept the challenge and the change that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning, to be in one accord. One can make a difference. Amen? We're the Clorox to this world the church is. Amen. God bless you.